Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa's Magazine. Today on the show is the return of Rob Viper to talk all things Lucha, including what's going on in CML right now, the return of Lucha Underground next week, the history of the Micros division, and how they've been stealing the shows in CML recently. Both of us will be appearing at the Break of the Barrier show June 11th in Old Forge, Pennsylvania. We talk about some of the Lucha talent that's on that show. From there, we talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs, Who's going to win Game 7 between Ottawa and Pittsburgh tomorrow? How we both want Nashville to win? Playoff parity in the NHL? And assorted other random topics. After that, I have a brief little monologue about the passing of Roger Moore and some of the things I would recommend you check out that you may or may not have seen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. We had been planning on doing a Lucha show for a couple days, and before we had time to record, some very crazy stuff happened. To talk about what's going on in the world of Lucha, and a look ahead at the Stanley Cup playoffs, we welcome back to the show Rob Viper. How's it going, Rob? Oh, you know, the usual, when a big news breaks in Mexico, everything goes crazy. Yeah, um, this is... Uh, less than a week old, so I will do the Cliff Notes version, and you jump in uh, if I have any of the basic facts wrong. So, sure. uh, a few weeks ago, Braza de Oro passed away, and among being you know a legendary luchador and all that kind of stuff, he was head of the CMLL Union. Um, so, when he passed away there were a contingent of people who thought that that job would probably be passed along to one of the Brazos family, maybe or maybe not La Mascara, who is Braza de Oro's son. It turns out that they uh, they temporarily appointed, appointed Nitro the head, and apparently now we're learning that... Uh, Paco Alonso, who runs CMLL, owns CML, wanted to put Ultimo Guerrero in that spot. And then apparently at a meeting, um, I guess while all this, all this was being discussed, Guerrero m- may have said some disparaging things about Braza de Oro's union leadership. Is that sort of a, about right? Yeah, it sounds like he didn't attack it personally. He just attacked the way he ran the union. Okay. But you could see how you could see how anything negative about a, a guy's father who just passed away would be perceived. Right. So it turns out the next day, which was Friday, which you know the day of the Arena Mexico show, uh, in the afternoon or morning, a bunch of people, including uh, Maximo who was Brazador's nephew, La Mascara, Psycho Clown, who is Maximo's brother, and some other people basically trashed Ultimo Guerrero's car. And that started coming out in the afternoon or maybe before the show. And then 
it turns out somebody apparently surreptitiously filmed all this being done, including making sure to include shots of La Mascara and Maximo and Psycho Clown unmasked uh, standing there watching it. So, uh, La Mascara was not scheduled on Friday night's card. Maximo was, and he was replaced by Marco Corleone. And then uh, they were also off the shows on Saturday and Sunday, I believe. And, and also, then... we didn't pay any attention to it at the time, but just to note, on Friday, Sagrado replaced Bobby Villa in an underneath match. Which we didn't really think anything of at the time, since people get replaced right. all the time on scene. And Bobby Villa, as far as we know, had no connection to the Alvarados that I was aware of. Mm-hmm. So then Monday comes out, and CML issues a press release and says, Maximo's fired, La Mascara's fired, and Bobby Villa's fired, which we were sort of, I think nobody was expecting. And also, uh, Robin, who was also an Alvarado, was not fired, and he worked his regularly scheduled match, which some of us thought was a little weird. So that that's the primer about what all has happened. So what kind of details do you have maybe to fill in some of the blanks? To fill in the blanks, one thing would be that what some of the things that are being misconstrued, one thing is that Ultimo Guerrero, as we know it, apparently did not want the position of the union head. He was just there to voice concerns. Now, the news came out that Paco Alonso picked him to take over instead of Nitro, who's the Nitro was like the second in command. So it should go to him. But since Paco Alonso gets to name who takes over the union, that supersedes any actual law, any actual rule of law, or any of the bylaws, I should say. So he wanted Guerrero. Guerrero and his daughter and some other people close to Guerrero are claiming he wants nothing to do with it. He was just there to say his piece and move on. So it appears that all this, all these problems wouldn't have even happened if Paco hadn't named him as a head. But clearly, Paco Alonso trusts Ultimo Guerrero. And, I mean, we all know Ultimo Guerrero has a lot of power in CMLL. We just didn't know how close he really was with Paco. And apparently they are really close if, he, if Paco's going to name him as the number one liaison between the wrestlers and the office. And as you said, I think on uh, Cubs fans pod the other day that Guerrero already had, as you said, already has lots of power in the CML office. And this could, and if he does become head of the union, that gives him even more power. And so he probably is arguably the most powerful person in Lucha now. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, he, he basically runs the show. I mean, I can't think of any, anybody else, any single wrestler who would have had this much power in CMLL in quite a while, I would say. They're, he's just uh, he's the he's the guy who trains wrestlers. He helps with some of the, the programming at times. Other programming means booking. And now, if he's head of the union too, I mean, he he controls everything. And no matter what you think of him inside the ring, or what you may think of him, what you think you know outside the ring, I mean, he I'm of the opinion that. 
nobody should have absolute power because what's that saying? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. So even it, it's no matter him, if it, it could have been Volador Jr., one of my favorite wrestlers, if he was the guy who was in Ultimo Guerrero's spot, I would still think it's not really good because you never want one person to have so much power because that's how problems start because then they start manipulating the system for themselves. So as of right now, he doesn't have absolute power because when Super Luchas, on Saturday, Super Luchas published an article explaining how everything works and how Nicho's number two and he should be the one taking over. Paco Lanzo went back on his word and told, and now he's appointed Nitro, who should be in this position, as the actual head of the union until December, when a, a, a vote, and I'm using quotation marks, will take place but at the end of the day, Paco's going to pick whoever he wants. So my my theory is that because of all this, and because of the fact that apparently Ultimo Guerrero doesn't want this position, and from all accounts, Ultimo Guerrero has never been interested in a position like this. He's more interested in helping out with booking. My guess is Ultimo Guerrero won't be picked, but somebody who Ultimo Guerrero approves of will end up being picked. And for all we know, Ultimo Guerrero and Nitro could be close, so... It could just be neutral stays in that position when December rolls around. And Guerrero, like you said, Guerrero already has sort of all this power anyway. Plus, is do I have this right that he's sort of like the top dog among the people who are Languineros who are from that part of the country? Do I have that right? Definitely, yeah. Ultimo Guerrero, and he's, he's got the respect of a lot of wrestlers because, I mean – he, he's been with CMLL since, I believe, late 97, early 98. I don't know the exact timeline. But I know he was supposed to lose his mask in December 97, quit Promo Azteca, and move to CMLL. So he's familiar with how this union works, how the company works, because he started at the bottom. And as we can see, he's worked his way up. And as you mentioned, the thing with the Laguneros makes the Bobby Villa firing especially weird, because he's a Lagunero. And Ultimo Guerrero helped bring him into CMLL. So how he fits into this is the puzzle piece that everybody's waiting to connect. Because there's also a theory that I think some of us thought that Bobby may have been Bobby may have been fired not for being part of this, but maybe for some uh, like things dating back to when he was on Informa a little while ago and made sort of questionable statements that people were a little hinky about. But that doesn't seem like it would be just saying something sort of questionable will get you fired unless you maybe acted on the stuff you were talking about, which was sort of his, I guess, fondness for uh, young ladies who may be a little too <laughs> young for... Yeah, I mean... It's different in Mexico, the way things work. I'm not saying this is right or wrong. Obviously, it's wrong, but I don't think this had any. I don't think that had anything to do with the firing. I think it's just a funny little coincidence that he got fired after, like a month after he said that. If they had a problem with it, they would have dealt with it already. The fact that he got fired with these two other guys clearly shows he was involved somehow in what happened. It remains to be seen, you know, uh, what his role was. But the thing is, you know, CMLL doesn't fire people. That's not how CMLL works. If you're going to get fired, it's going to be because of something very, 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 uh, like, the, you, you can't argue with CMLL if you decide, that, if you think that this firing is wrong, because CMLL tries to avoid any sort of conflict when it comes to, like, 
civil proceedings, criminal proceedings, anything like that, to the point where uh, Demis, the former Pequeno Damien, he quit the promotion a month ago to go work for the crash and to be an independent. And still to this day, when CMLL prints out the official lineups that are distributed in the office, his name is still on lineups. He's not in the lineup that you see when it hits the website or when it hits publications because they know he's not going to be there, so they've got someone else. But on the official, official lineups that are entered into CML records, his name is still on there because they don't want the wrestler to come back later on and say that this company fired me un- unjustly and to, and to fight it in any way in the courts. Well, it would like seem, only... Yeah, I was going to say, it would seem like with CML having, what, like over 100 people on on the books that that you could just not book somebody i mean like you don't have to fire them you just you know and as we've seen you know we often complain about cml booking but you know that you know they need a certain number of people and people get rotated and yada 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 but you know you could i mean we've certainly seen people like vanish with for like no good reason and we're like is this guy hurt did he do something? He, he's just not being booked. You know, we certainly saw, like last year, there was this, a whole bunch of of new new people were being booked, like on, especially on Tuesday or on Sunday, and then that all just stopped. It was like they made like one or two appearances, and then they went away or went back to, you know, like another part of the country. Like they weren't being used in Arena Mexico anymore, and you're like, where do these guys go? And it's like, again, a lot of times it's, you know, it's just CMLL. There's unfortunately, that's the answer to a lot of stuff with that company. It's just, that's just the way it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you remember the, when Tony Rivera tried to shut down the big show by, by putting the bus in front of arena Mexico. And he, his complaint was basically that they didn't want me around and they fired me without firing me because they were trying to starve me. He was getting like one booking every two or three months. Because CML just won't fire you. They just won't give you enough work to the point where you'll just stop showing up. And if you stop showing up for that one show every, like, two or three months, then they feel like, you know, they can stop booking you because it's your fault. It's not their fault. Because they claim that they're giving you work even though nobody can live off one booking for two or three months. And, like we said, the other weird thing about this is that Robin did not get fired along with all the other people. So does that mean he wasn't like, do we know if he was even there? Like whether or not he actually like participated in, in damaging the car, but do we know if he was actually there? I believe he was there. I've been told he was there. Other people who would know have been told he was there. And it may be just a case of nobody wants to get him in trouble because he doesn't appear on the video. Like, the video, I mean, the whole thing about this is we're, me and you aren't even talking right now if there's no video. The video is the, is the thing that buries everybody. So if Robin was there and just, just not on the video, there's no reason for CML to fire him. Because if this, video, if this incident occurs and there's no video there, La Masca and Maxim are still working for CMLL. All of this gets handled quietly. Nobody even talks about it. And life goes on. So if Robin was there, as some people have said, and he's just on the video... CML really has no reason to act. But at the same time, why would Robin stay in CML if the rest of his family is gone? That's the part that 
I figure I figure at some point it's gonna get is something's gonna happen because it's like when Mystical got fired back in two thousand or left back in two thousand eleven. CML didn't fire his brothers, but they just stopped going to the shows because why would they be there? CML hates hates the family's guts. They're never going to do anything with them. So if the Alvarados have fallen out with CMLL, Robin can stick around with and hang out with his friends and wrestle once every three weeks or however many times they book him. But the inevitable thing is he's going to wind up wherever his brothers end up. And the other person that we haven't mentioned yet is Super Porky, who yes. is, you know, was presumably wasn't there is still recuperating from his surgery is still on the CML books. You know, CML was helping to pay for his, his recovery and his rehab. They were using him as a TV announcer for their, their short lived show. So, you know, what's his role in all this going to be? You know what? I, he's the one that, I mean, who knows? Because from all accounts that I heard a couple months ago, he he was done. Like he would never be able to wrestle again. That's what everybody was saying. That was the word. People who saw him, he can't even walk. And then I think like uh, a couple weeks ago, somebody was say somebody I can't even remember where it was. I saw it in one of Cubs Daily Update. The word was that he's going to be returning to action soon. So who knows if he can return to action? I would assume he owes CMLL a debt of gratitude, basically, for paying for his surgery that he's indebted to work for them. There's nowhere else he can go. But now, like you, like you pointed out, this throws a, it throws a monkey into the wrench. Like, what can they bring him back? Does he even want to go back? I mean, they fired his kid, right? And if he goes back, what kind of strain does that put on his relationship with, with his son, who they fired? You know, he's cho- so he's choosing his job over his family, and I think we know that, you know, family is all important in Lucha. So, I mean, and the Alvarados are like one of the two or three biggest families in Lucha. Well, they're part of the biggest family now, because now that they've teamed up with the Casas family, nobody's bigger than them. And that, like, I guess, and the one good thing about this is, like I said, Casas is sort of tied into this because Psycho Clown is his son-in-law. But he works for the other company, so it's not like, you know, I mean, how much does 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 he or any of the Costases want to get involved in, you know, something they're not really involved in? And you yeah, know, I don't think I don't think it it affects the Costases in any way, un, unless the because one thing we left out was that Ultimo Guerrero claims he's filing criminal charges. Now, if this goes to criminal, if this becomes a criminal case or a civil case, where you know, Psycho Clan was in the video damaging the car, and if he ends up owing money, that in a way gets the Casas involved because if money comes out of his pocket or he has to go to court or uh, – I'm not going to say he's going to end up in jail, but if something happens legally, that affects the Casas because then their daughter's involved. And it's funny because I had sort of thrown out this theory – I don't know wh- you know who I w- – I may be talking to Dr. Lucha about this, but – you know, I thought all along that Psycho Clown is, is losing the, the mask match at Triple Mania. And I've always thought, you know, all the other Alvarados are in CMLL. His father-in-law is in CMLL. You know, and, you know, he's getting a big payoff from AAA, which is this horrible sinking ship that, you know, 
And he had, and as far as you know, Steve said, I think you must have been talking to Steve, but he had no heat with the office, so it's not like he couldn't go there. But of course, now that's completely out of the realm of possibility. I assume that he's, you know, CML can't do anything to him because he works for AAA. But if he were to leave AAA and want to come to CML, that's not going to happen now. I would say no. Yeah, I would say he's definitely, you know, everybody likes to throw around the term getting on Paco Alonso's blacklist. But that's a whole separate list for another thing. I think that he's def- him, Maximo Lamasco are definitely in Paco's bad graces, but not on the all-time banishment list like certain other guys, like a Conan, for example. But I okay. do think, yeah, that he can't – it's not like two years are going to go by and he's going to show up there and just go work there. I think that it's going to take more than more than a while to heal these wounds. And – but and as of now, we don't necessarily know that Maximo and La Mascara are going to go to AAA. But you know, if you were if you were booking things and you have the whole thing where the long running story is people turn on Psycho Clown, who better to come to his rescue than his family? So it's almost like a perfectly made angle for AAA if they want to bring them in. Oh yeah, the 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 lucha libre community on Facebook and all the other social media places. A lot of them who aren't really like not insiders, but they're not more hardcore fans. are just very casual. They think this is an angle, and it fits perfectly into the AAA angle that these guys left CML by destroying Ultimate Girl's car, and now they're coming to help Psycho. And honestly, you know, AAA has a TV taping on Friday. We're recording this on a Wednesday, so less than 48 hours. AAA is going to be running. In Mexico City, about 20 minutes away from CMLL, and I, I can vir- virtually guarantee at least Maximo is going to be there, because the way that all the, the certain AAA pe- people who work for AAA, who are very hardcore defenders of AAA, they are treating this story like, if you say anything bad about Maximo or La Mascara, you're saying something bad about AAA. It's like they're already in the company without them actually having appeared. And the question is. If they didn't go to AAA, which we I think we all assume they will, what would they would they what would they do? Because I assume I you know they could go work the crash maybe, but they're probably not going to work a lot of the super indies that are friendly with CMLL because CMLL is going to tell them not to book them. You know, it's it's that thing where you book these guys, then we're going to, you know, Paco will start pulling the CML talent from, like, you know, Lucha Memes or whomever. And so, mm-hmm. you know, again, you don't want to get on CML's bad side. I guess we'll find out tomorrow first, right? Because tomorrow Thursday there's an indie show where there's a bunch of CML names and Maximo has already retweeted the poster claiming he's going to be on the show, but... The card has mostly CML names in the top two matches. If Maximo shows up, I have a feeling those CML guys can't work. And I think it's going to be up to the promoter of that show, which that'll be the barometer once we see what happens there. Does the, does that any promoter pick Maximo to work the show? And if so, do the CML guys work? I would say no. And if that's the way it's going to be, if Maximo works the show and the CML guys don't, we know that going forward, that's going to be the situation where no CML guys can work with those two. And we presume this is not going to happen, but this, one of the scheduled main events of the the Dragon Mania show was 
Marco and Maximo versus Ultimo, Guerrero, and Ray Bucanero. I think we all can assume that's not going to happen, but... <laughs> no. But, you know... But, yeah, but who get who who gets pulled, I guess, will be the question. You would assume it's I'm the... I'm assuming Max. Yeah, it's the one guy as opposed to the three CML guys. Not to mention the other CML guys that are on that show. Right. But, yeah, it's so this is... just to get rid of Maximo and his wife. So this is all... Yeah, so this is a developing situation, as they say. Like I said, this is... We're taping this Wednesday, Friday... We'll see if what happens that we all think will happen happens. And the, the thing is, this also one thing I never mentioned yesterday, me, neither me or Cubs, when we recorded our other podcast was, you remember, there are a lot of deals and deals, supposed deals in place with AAA and TNA, and everybody was wondering. Cubs even made a list of like what guys from AAA can actually work in TNA that have been working in Lucha Underground. And if you get Maximo and Lamascare in, I mean, those are prime candidates to just jump straight into this apparent TNA and AAA relationship because nobody else could figure out who else could possibly be going. And if they don't go to TNA, it still keeps the door open where, I mean, you know, there's a lot of problems with Lucha Underground and AAA right now, some of the talent. Who knows? Maybe if Dorian really puts his foot down and says no to Phoenix, Pentagon, and whoever else to work season four of Lucha Underground – Who's to say La Masca and Maximo don't just step right in there? One other thing, I haven't looked this up yet, but were Maximo or La Mascara, were either of them one of those guys that were part of that soft drink deal? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think so far we've seen Angel Doro, Dragon Rojo, Marco Corleone, and I think that's all the ones we've seen so far. Because that, that just popped in my head when you were talking about deals and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I wonder if they were part of that soft drink deal, you know, how that wouldn't. But, I mean, I think Paco, you know, Paco would probably fire them regardless and just, you know, go to the sponsor and say, look. Because I think everybody can understand that, you know, you have guys on tape committing vandalism or, you know, however you want to call it. So it's like. You can certainly go to a sponsor and say, I'm sorry I had to fire this guy. This is in the news. You know what happened. No hard feelings. You know, I don't think – I don't think any sponsor would begrudge them for that, but I, I that that just popped into my head. Well, uh, here, you know, you, you're very anti-AAA, so you'll, you can appreciate this. I mean, this whole situation basically shows the difference between the two companies. CML, the more professional, straightforward, you know, something bad happened. Criminal act, get out of here. We don't care what the reason is. You know, you're gone. Whereas AAA, hey, two criminals just committed an act. Come right in. They don't care. They don't care what people think about them or what their what their decisions are, and they have no sponsors to answer to because they're just going to do whatever they want. And they haven't even issued a statement. But that says everything right there. That their top act got caught destroying a car with a chair while on mass in their own arena, and they haven't said word one about anything nor. Nor have they even been asked by their own media. I do wonder how triple if AAA if everything was exactly the same in this situation, but Psycho Clown was not unmasked in that video, if they would do anything differently. Because it's almost like they don't want to they don't want to cause any attention to this, 
mainly because they don't want to, they don't want people to see their top technical unmasked as opposed to all the other stuff that's involved like that would be like the important thing for them yeah i mean i i don't know i i feel a little compassion for them i said it that like obviously they can't shine a huge light on this story because they're unmasked guy going into triple mania defending his mask they can't really tell everybody hey something happened go search out this video so I understand their silence, but you would think there'd be some form of communication. You know, given that it's AAA, and I would think, you know, given that it's, I guess, since it's Vampiro now instead of Conan, well, to me that's six one half dozen of the other. But, you know, would you be surprised if AAA didn't do an angle on Friday that involved somebody destroying a car that somehow might even lead to this, how they debut Maximo and La Mascara. Like, they, they, they destroy Wagner's car in the parking lot. You know, Dude, it's, triple, it's triple A is so messed up. I don't even know. You know, they could do anything at this point. And it's funny because, you know, we have been talking off and on, you know, since the podcast started about, you know, the sort of spiral that triple A was in. I mean, you know, all that stuff that happened to them a couple years ago it was just one thing after another. And, you know, now it's in a way, it seems like it's continued to get worse. But in some ways, it's almost gotten a little better. I mean, yes, they're now going to get sort of two main event talents. But, you know, you've got Vampiro in charge of booking or whomever is, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't watch AAA and I don't like AAA, but you know, I sort of still know, know what's going. On. I know I've seen you guys certainly complain about this booking as of late, and I think I don't know, were you the one that sort of said it sounds like Vince Russo is writing this TV? It does because it's a guy, the guy who's writing it doesn't really understand the Mexican market at all, doesn't go to Mexico, just writes the TV from his home or his office wherever in the United States gives his or gives his he Vampiro obviously chips in and gives his ideas and stuff but it's this other guy's job to put it together Vampiro's the one who travels to Mexico and is at the TV tapings to carry out the orders and make sure everything goes right but the day of the taping if Vampiro gets uh, an idea that oh I'd like to see this happen I mean he can do whatever he wants he's got full autonomy he's basically the hatchet man for Dorian because Dorian doesn't want to deal with the talent and so it's just a messed up system because, you, first of all, you can't have somebody writing your TV show and only the TV show because, you know, AAA is a touring business. That's how they make their money. So you have to be somewhat on the same page. And the guy who writes the TV show knows nothing about the other aspects of AAA's business. And you have a guy writing the TV show who's writing it from an American perspective. They, they have a major show coming up next Sunday in Juarez. And on the TV – they have nothing announced, not a single match. The only way you know what's going on is if you go to their Twitter account and they've released a full lineup. But on TV, it, it, this is how Vince. This is typical Vince Russo. You know, you don't announce a lineup. You just do all these swerves on TV where everybody's turning on everybody. It just—it's a whole mess. That's why I keep saying Vince Russo because the parallels are there, and I just can't figure out if the reason it comes off as Vince Russo is because the guy who's doing it doesn't understand everything or he doesn't care or maybe it's a mix of both uh and uh in that discussion we mentioned that 
we mentioned Lucha Underground, and Lucha Underground is due to come back in a couple weeks. Is that right? Uh, May thirty first. May thirty first. That'd be next a week from when we're talking right now. I will be watching Lucha Underground next week. Is it is it supposed to pick right up from where they are they are they going to like show the last ep- the cliffhanger episode from before they went on hiatus? to lead into it or have they been showing it up until now? I know you're watching on, you're watching in Canada, not necessarily on El Rey. Mm-hmm. On El Rey. I know that they're, they're in the final two episodes today before they went on the hiatus. So it should seamlessly flow right into what airs next week. But next week, I mean, they, they've been building a match. They've been building a one hour match with Johnny Mundo in the Mac that, I mean, I don't know how you can, how any sort of professional TV show would work like this. It's like you, you build to the peak and then you put the peak off until after your break. It's, it doesn't make any sense at all, but not much about Lucha Underground makes sense. But on happier news, um, this is something I was trying to get you to write for the next issue of the magazine, but since you did not want to, we're going to talk about it on the podcast instead. And that is perhaps the best thing in Lucha... Uh, the last couple months, and that is the micros, or the 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 mascots, however you would choose to deem it. Um, they've now had a couple matches on TV. Um, we're going to post uh, the YouTube clips uh, in the show podcast, including, as we were discussing before we went on air, apparently a match that is brand new on YouTube that you have not seen yet. Yeah, you brought it to my attention. The Saturday retro show at Coliseo, they had a tag match, and you found it. So good for you. I can't wait to see it. As soon as we finish this, I'm going to load it up and see how they switched up their act for that show. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't I didn't realize it. I mean, I know they, they, they debuted the match at Arena Mexico on Kids Day at the beginning of May, and then they took it around the circuit, so it went to Coliseo and to Puebla and to Guadalajara. So... I know that, uh, like I said, there are these two, the two matches in and of themselves that we're going to post. Uh, the match from Puebla is on that week's Puebla TV, so if people wanted to track that down, they could find that. I don't know about the other one. But uh, for the people the who... The one you can get from the official... You can check Cubs' database. Here's a link to it. But the official CMLL Guadalajara Facebook stream the match live, and they still have the link up on their on their Facebook account. Okay, so that's there. Um, so why don't you briefly talk about sort of the history of micros in recent, and sort of, you know, from maybe the AAA era forward to where, how we got to this match a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, it's all about, you know, I think Dave Meltzer is the one who always points it out and he's a hundred percent right that wrestling is a cyclical business and we've, we've done the whole cycle now with the micros because, before there was any sort of midget, midgets or whatever, however the proper term is to call them, like the Mascarita Sagradas and the Aspectritos and Puratita Morgans, predating them was Gulliver, Arturito. Uh, oh man, now I'm now I'm blanking. There was another little guy who was like even smaller than Microman that was really popular, and uh, they they basically there was like five or six of them, and they toured Philly Philly Estrella, I think his name was. And they toured all over the country just as a group, kind of like 
how in the United States you had the women as special attraction. Well, they also had midgets in the United States. Yeah. Like a special attraction, Little Beaver, all those guys. And these people, these guys would go all over Mexico City from town to town doing their match. And it was all comedy. They weren't really – I mean, you can't fault them. Based on their size, they're not very – they can't be very athletic because their bones are so brittle and they can't they can't work a regular schedule because their bodies just can't deal with it. But they were special attractions to the point that in the – in the 80s, they could headline shows. If you look up results, they were headliners because if you don't see them for six months and then there's a random card in Puebla and all of a sudden they're in the main event, you're going to draw because people want to see them. It's a fun little attraction and they would do their thing and all was good until a guy like Masquita Sagrada comes along. And then you realize, like, wait a minute, this guy, he's almost as small as them, but he's way more athletic. And you put him in there with a bigger guy who can actually base for him, and those guys, the Octogoncitos, Mysteriosito, Forzita Guerrero, those guys started to take over. And you still had the Mikos around, but clearly they were just 100% comedy, and they were passe at the time. So when Antonio Pena formed AAA, he was a big fan of the, he was the one who started the whole minis revolution with the smaller midgets as, rep, as smaller versions of the bigger characters that he created. So you had the minis division, but you still had Micro Conan, Micro Volador, Micro Misterioso, and the Micro Destructores. And they did their match, but it was old, and nobody was really interested in it, because it just it wasn't as good. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the show that the minis could provide at the time. So the Micros faded away into obscurity. None of them were really around. They couldn't wrestle. The only guy that stuck around, really, was Micro Conan who was part of the AAA Minis division until I think about 95, I would say. Maybe in 96, he was still working as like Chivita Rayada. But injuries caught up to him. He left, and none of them were around. It was just a forgotten concept, and if anybody that size came along, they were just stuck in a mascot role, like Kemonido, who was Alushe, Zacharias, Quija. You know, he was... He was uh, I think he tried to be a wrestler originally, but it just... And, and Antonio Pena tried to bring the concept back. He had Quija and uh, the monster was running around with a guy called Chucky. And they would be in matches. But again, it just they couldn't do anything. They were just comedy acts, so they just worked as mascots. And also, during that time was when some of them went to Super Astros, right? Mm. When when the the brief WWF Lucha show. They were, they were on the. You're talking about the minis, right? Yeah, the minis. Yeah, they were. On, they were. They worked Super Astros a lot. All those guys, but they all they all had different gimmicks. Cause, right. You know, WWF and all that. And so we fast forward to current time period where, I guess Ultimo Guerrero was a big fan of the concept. Here we circle back to Ultimo Guerrero having all this power, and he was a big fan of the concept. CMLL is becoming more touristy, so they're looking for a concept that like could could generate uh, interest from tourists. And they decided, hey, you know, let's let's uh, get something going. And Kimonito has a son, who I guess he started training when he was like 16 or 17. And now that he's 18, it's okay for him to wrestle professionally in CMLL. And they decided, hey, you know what? Let's put him in a gimmick. Let's introduce him and let's do something special for Kids Day. So they put together this tag match with Micro Man, who is Kimonito's legit son, teaming with Gaito, 
who is a mascot from Guadalajara, who used to come to the ring with El Gallo, the rooster, basically, but he doesn't really work CMLL shows much, so he's just been seconding whoever is available, and he was a special attraction there, and they took on Mija, the former Cuija, who used to come to the ring with Cranio, and Zacharias, who is the mascot for the Pesta Negra. And they had, they had uh, Guapito, who is... He actually has no affiliation with CMLL. He he lives beside Arena Mexico, actually. And I think he's been trying to get into the company, but they just had no role for him. And so it worked out perfect. He would be the referee, because he's not really a wrestler. And they had that special match on Kids Day, where they had a ring announcer who was a midget, too. And everybody loved the match. I mean, it got over great. They had money thrown. And that appears to be CMLL's new touring match. They took them, like you said, to Puebla, to Guadalajara. Every what surprised me is that every match that I've seen so far, they've changed it up. They haven't really done the touring formula where they do all the same spots. They're trying to do new things, which really blows me away because they could get by with doing so much less. We were, I think we were just expecting a comedy match, right? Yeah, I think I think sort of the main thing for for people to realize is that like we all just weren't happy because it was entertaining and, you know, we all like Zacharias and we all like Mihai. And so we knew they would probably be good stooges in this match. And, you know, you know, what's this, how's this microman guy going to be? Cause he was new and, you know, it was a better match, you know, judged in absolute terms. It was like a better match than, 75% of the matches that you see on CML TV on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. They, they worked really hard. You could see that this, this wasn't just a coasting. They were sent out there to like, please go and press us. And they, they did dives. They did spots that even back in the day that the other, when I was talking about the older, older micros, they wouldn't even do like these guys really, you could see they put some thought into it. And I hope that there's a system where there's other guys who are, gonna come up like i hope it's not these same four i hope they are bringing in more guys so that we could have a little more variety but these guys haven't even worked the friday show yet i'm wondering if cmo is saving them up for the anniversary show to work on a friday Mishu, the only thing i think was sort of surprising is that kimo nito had nothing to do with it i mean obviously he wasn't going to work <laughs> but you know that he didn't come out with them or you know there was a spot where they were double teaming Microman and came into like came out to make a save or something like that. He hasn't been part of it, so that's another part of the formula they haven't gotten to yet that they may be saving for later. It's possible. I mean, that was my before the match even happened. I think I tweeted out the day or two before saying, "Is there any way this match happens without Kimorito running out to get involved?" Because that was when I thought they were just doing this for comedy and it was going to be a one-off. But now that they actually did the regular match and they're touring all over the place, I guess, who knows, maybe maybe they're trying to keep it apart. Maybe they want the fans to treat these guys seriously, whereas Kim Bonito is just the, the mascot who gets involved doing comedy spots. Who knows? But yeah, so like I said, I'm going to post a couple of these matches in the show notes so people can see them there and then maybe we'll put links to, to their other stuff. Um, before we move on... Um, has there been anything on the indie or super indie scene of late that you think people should check out? I guess we have the – I guess what got a lot of attention a couple of weeks ago is the 
Zack Sabre Jr. versus uh, Negro Navarro match. What did you think of that? It was good. Are you trying to get me in trouble? Because <laughs> yesterday, apparently, some people thought we were too mean on the podcast when we were talking about Lucha Memes not releasing footage and all that. No, no, no. I, I just no. I mean, I just no. I mean, and you know, we had him on the show, and you know, I was hoping that once the show came out, that you know, like stuff was going to happen later that week, and it didn't. You know, like a month later, you know, we got a couple of the matches, so. No, I was just, I know, I was genuinely asking it, what you've seen lately that you would want other people to check out, and that's sort of, I think, been the highest profile super indie match, you know, in the last couple of months, I would say. And that's something people can see. Yeah, definitely. That was a really good match. It's good because it got a lot of non-regular Lucha eyes on it, because a lot of people know Zack Sabre. So they watched the match and they were like, who the hell is this Negro Navarro guy? This was a good match. So I'm always for that. When new people discover that, hey, Lucha Libre is awesome. Check it out. Don't just don't just think it's all high flying. There's lots of different styles involved in it. You probably won't like my answer, but my recommendation for indie stuff would probably be mostly from your buddy Conan's The Crash Promotion. Because I think they've been having some really awesome shows. And I would love to be able to recommend Danny, some of the stuff that Danny does with Lucha Memes and Chiro. Just the footage just isn't out there. So what are you going to do? I mean, aside from those two matches, like you said, I like the Crash put out basically their entire last show you can find online. I think every single match was good from that show. I think the uh, there was a good match that our friend Randy TKD recorded from his trip to Mexico this past weekend for the Lucha Boom show. They had a it's either it was either a six on six match or a. T- 12 personal uh, uh, every man for himself match me and him disagree on that because I feel like there were teams even when you watch it it's hard to figure it out but either way there were 12 guys involved and it was like one of those high-flying spectacles where everybody does their stuff but I thought it was really good and I guess before we totally leave the wrestling talk um, we presumably are going to be at the same show in a couple weeks I believe Um, you are coming down for the Break the Barrier show on June 11th, or at least the last time we talked about it, you were coming. Are you still coming down for that? That is the plan, yes, to go meet a bunch of people and watch our buddies Puma and Tiger. Yeah, the uh, I don't know the whole card off the top of my head, but yeah, the reason I'm going mainly is to see Puma and Tiger versus Guerrero Maya Jr. and Triton. It was originally going to be they were going, originally going to be Puma and Tiger versus the Traumas, but that got changed to Guerrero and Triton, which I think will still be a good match. I'm not complaining about that, so I am happy to see those guys in person. Um, you know, like I said, I'll have a table at Break the Barrier. We'll have a new issue of the magazine out, hopefully, that will include a new interview with at least one of the luchadors that are on the card. Um, There's a bunch of cool matches. Um, The main event is a four-way that has Jigsaw and Fly Warrior as two of the people in it. And I know there's also a match of former partners in Chikara with Ophidian versus the artist formerly known as Amasis, who's 
new name I don't remember off the top of my head. And then um, a bunch of other, you know, you can go to Powerbomb TV if you want more information on the whole card. Rob will be there. I will be there. TKD and Cecilia are going to be there. So it's it's almost you're, it's minus the Cubs. It's almost your your Lucha Crew will be there. Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be a good time. I I know that Adam has been working. Adam Lash has been working really hard on the show, trying to put everything together. And I know that he keeps telling me his mission statement for the show is just to get new names out there, people who. Not the usual indie names that are on all, you know, the AAW, PWG, you know, those type shows. He wants to expose people to a whole bunch of guys that nobody's seen before. And Puma and Tiger definitely fit that bill. I would think Guerrero Maya fits that bill because he hasn't worked a lot in the U.S. I hope it goes well for them. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Fly Warrior. I'm very, I'm very excited for that four-way. I hope that he opens some eyes and... You know, people start booking these guys because I, I mean, I already explained this all on Twitter, and I know Adam agrees with me 100. percent These are there are great guys out there that you should be booking right now. All these indie companies should be booking, and you shouldn't just wait until they're actually discovered by other companies to book them. You should be on the bandwagon now because you could have had guys like Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. in their previous personas way before Lucha Underground ever used them, but nobody was interested. So I think this is Adam's thing, trying to say, like, look, these cards, any cards don't have to be so repetitive. There's so many guy, talented guys out there. Just take a chance. And that's why he named the show, you know, Break the Barrier. I mean, I was always a fan when Quack would bring in, you know, the luchadors. Like, you know, I mean, when they were working with Skyda, that helped a lot. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's like I saw Skyda and Turbo and, you know, yeah. some little – Podunk Town of Pennsylvania. I saw, you know, Pantera on a show somewhere. You know that you know. Where would you expect to see you know these guys who you know were big names in lucha you know ten years, fifteen years ago? You know, in this you know in in Reading, Pennsylvania, or in Barnesville, Pennsylvania, in a firehouse. You know, it, it's just it's weird when you when you stop and think about it sometimes. But yeah, it's like I'm glad to see you know more people coming getting booked and it's not yeah like you said it's not the same old you know there, yeah there's actually nothing wrong with you know with phoenix and pentagon but you know like the more people that get booked the better yeah so i mean they're fly warrior i'm not saying he's as good as phoenix but he can do a lot of the crazy shit that phoenix does that people are blown away by and why would you not book him now when he's got his proper working papers and he's you know he's affordable he can work shows for like let's say one-fourth the price that Phoenix would get, if you sleep on him, I mean, somebody's going to discover him eventually. And then you're going to be like, well, now he's too expensive, and now everybody's booking him. This is your chance, you know? So good good on Adam for taking a chance on these guys. Somebody had to do it. Yeah, and that's June 11th in Old Forge, Pennsylvania. Like I said, Powerbomb TV for more information. So now that we're done with our wrestling talk, we can proceed to talk about how we hope that P.K. Subban will have a Stanley Cup in two weeks' time. I assume I assume you're not rooting for either Pittsburgh or Ottawa, so you're. I assume you're also on the Nashville bandwagon at this point. Well, I am. I mean, I, I, I would rather they just make National Anaheim play another seven-game series and just tell Ottawa-Pittsburgh, hey, it's been fun. See you next year. Uh, I guess we'll start with who do you think is going to win – Game seven between Ottawa and Pittsburgh, or is it just a toss up? Because this series has been crazy. I mean, it's a toss up, but uh, I'm going to be very depressed if Ottawa moves on. Not because it's anything to do with Leafs versus Sens, 
it's just a matter of I really, really, really despise Guy Boucher and his coaching style and his general attitude towards everything in life. Whereas, you know, I would be perfectly happy to not see the chance of Sidney Crosby winning another Stanley Cup. And I would like to see a Canadian team in the final. I know it's I know it's not the Canadian team you support, but, you know, I would – and I don't think – I think either Pittsburgh or Ottawa, and I guess Nashville to a certain extent, are just so banged up that, like, I don't think we're going to get a final that is, you know, a pretty final. I mean, it might be an emotional final and a gritty final, but I don't think we're going to get beautiful hockey in the final just because of how many people are injured or out or – I mean, you know, there's, it's, there's that cliche where as soon as, like, the, the day after a team gets eliminated, they put out the press release and tell you just how injured all of their players were. You know, which guy on your team... Unless you're Eric Carlson and you just admit it during a scrum. You get eliminated and the next day you find out, like, your team captain has been playing on, like, a torn ACL or, you know, has a broken shoulder or a broken sternum or... All these other insane injuries that you always see in playoff hockey. But, yeah, I am definitely all in favor of the Nashville bandwagon, whether it's seeing PK stick it to the Canadians or I guess Nashville is sort of like the wrestling team because they have like Eric Young and Rusev are both like big time Predator fans and you see them tweeting from the games and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's something I think we as wrestling fans like seeing. The one positive for Ottawa moving on is if Nashville sweeps them in fourth straight, then PK could conceivably win the cup, have the postgame scrum, and within 90 minutes with a police escort, he could be in Montreal from Ottawa to just parade all over the city with the Stanley Cup. And wouldn't that be a thing? I think I would. I think it's fair to say that Canadians would des- would certainly deserve it given the way they ran him out of town. And, you know, not that Shea Weber is a bad player or anything, but, you know, on paper, it's like, you know, PK is arguably better. He's certainly younger, and he's certainly cheaper. So, you know, it's, you know, it comes all down to, you know. Would you agree with, like, if PK is not black and is a French speaker, I think he's still in Montreal. If he's a French speaker that's different if he was if he was european and behaved the way that he did i think he would also ruffle feathers in montreal i mean if he was i think like if alex ovechkin played in montreal i think there would be a sizable chunk of people who would not like his act i mean you know i mean they sort of i mean they're very hot and they were very hot and cold on alexei kovalev and i i think they just don't like, you know, it's, yeah, they had Guy Lafleur, but that was certainly a long, long, long time ago. I mean, Carey Price used to be a bad boy, you know, taking pictures at clubs and stuff and acting. He's not, he's not exactly like a shy, timid guy. He's very cocky. He does things on the ice that you could say not as, as much as PK, but he does stuff and he manages to stay with the team. So what's the difference between him and PK? Then again, well, I guess you could argue that Price is a better goaltender than PK is a defenseman. Yeah. 
you know, again, if you're at the very top of your profession, you can get away with a lot more than a guy who is good, really good, but certainly not, you know, I mean, wasn't Price, Price has been like the Olympic goaltender, right? So that obviously means he's like the number one goalie in the league, or the number one Canadian goalie at least. But yeah, I I would definitely say that that P, that PK being black is is part. I don't think it's the whole thing, but I think it's part of it. I think it's like our our friend Merrick says, you know, the nail that sticks up gets beaten down. I mean, that's just, you know, that's, that's hot, that's hockey culture. And I don't, you know, like I said, if you were, if you were a flamboyant European, you know, if you're a Vetchkin or, you know, I get, you know, I mean, there really aren't very many Swedes that are like that, but, or if, you know, if you were like a cocky, like if you were Jeremy Roenick, like, I don't know how well he would have played in Montreal. I mean, they had Chelios, but. You know, he would. I mean, that's not the same kind of kind of thing. I just think, you know, in certain places, you know, they would prefer the, you know, gritty skate with your head down, don't cause a fuss. You know, or or I mean, to a lesser extent now, or if you were a goon, you know, if you were a goon, you're going to be a crowd favorite. Well, Montreal but, has different Montreal has different pressures. I mean, if you remember last year. Last year, there was that whole controversy about David DeHarnay, who's a French player, and how they stuck him on the fourth line after because he wasn't playing well on the first line. And the med- there was actual media pressure saying that he's French, he shouldn't be playing on the fourth line, he should be back up on the first line, just because he's French. It's like Montreal has its own, yeah. It's sort of like the thing of, you know, even if you were like the best coach in the world, you know, if you did not either speak French or made an attempt to speak French. You know, I'm sure there are people in the 70s, you know, who did not like Scotty Bowman because he wasn't French-Canadian, even though he gave them like four cups in a row. It's like, that's just the way it is in Montreal. They won't even hire a coach now. I mean, they will literally pass on... They would have not. They would have not hired Mike Babcock because it's the French thing. They they will automatically go with whoever speaks French, not whether, no matter you know if he's not the best coach. That's just how it is, and I don't know how you can run an organization like that. I agree, but yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we all we agree that we would like to see Nashville raise the cup. Did you watch? Uh... Any of your Leafs in the World Championships, or is that sort of not worth your time? Not a big World Championship guy, but I know that. So apparently, they're making fun of a picture of Mitch Marner. Did you see that picture when he came back to the airport? Yeah, I, I, I saw I saw people were tweeting about it. <laughs> Austin Matthews actually changed his Twitter image to that picture. Yeah. His teammate Mitch Marner coming back, looking like a little twelve-year-old unaccompanied minor getting off a flight. Yeah, I think, I think somebody said, didn't like Marner also like change his picture to something else too? I think like he was making fun of it himself, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, but he did. yeah, I showed it to my sister and she had no idea. She's like just some kid. But uh, yeah, I mean, as we said at the time, I thought, I thought Toronto could beat Washington. I mean, I was one of the few people that. 
they picked him, and they certainly, you know, gave it a game effort, because, you know, I long ago decided I was never going to pick Washington to win anything until they actually did. Sort of like San Jose, how they almost won last year, but they they are certainly, I mean, the future is certainly bright. I guess now you just have to worry about in a couple of years how to afford all these guys, or are they going to have to trade one or two of them to get veteran help, you know, for a deeper playoff run next year? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. They've certainly got the brains in, P- in place to figure out, like, Lamorello and Babcock and Shannon to figure out how to work this all. I mean, I'll be watching. It'll be interesting. But Did you see? of making predictions, your buddy or our buddy Merrick, he's the one who called Asheville from day one. I got to give him credit for that. He, you know, I, I think that's a team. I think he has like a, an, you know, he he's friends with a bunch of people down there. So that that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I think I don't remember. I my picks were so horrible this year that I don't remember too, how far. I mean, I mean, I picked. I think I picked Chicago to win. So that's to tell you how bad how bad my predictions were this year. But, yeah, I, I had I had Chicago over Nashville until I heard Merrick versus Wyszynski where he made his official picks. So I switched to Nashville, but I definitely did not have. I I mean I I'm pretty sure I had Washington for sure still alive at the end in the finals, but I forget who I picked them against on the other on the other side. It might have been Washington Anaheim for all I know. Yeah, I picked I picked Chicago and Pittsburgh just because it's sort of like. Especially because these were for fun. This wasn't necessarily like if this would have been like a money bracket. I may have taken things a little more seriously. But it's sort of like, you know, as much as I don't like them, you know, Crosby has it, you know. So mm-hmm. it's like you don't. I don't want to pick against him if I have to because I think he just makes things happen. So, you know, like I said, with I picked Washington to lose in the first round, so it's like that would have opened things up for Pittsburgh. And, you know, it's like there were a lot of teams in the East that had a lot of points, but, like, I didn't think any of them were, like, super. And, you know, and again, Washington, you know, Washington's a regular season wonder, and I had them losing, so it's like, why not Pittsburgh? I mean, the Stanley Cup final, if, let's say, let's say Ottawa beats Pittsburgh tomorrow, I mean... You've got the 16th seed, 16th seed Nashville against the 12th seed Ottawa Senators. It's not exactly, you know, I'm sure I'm sure NBC is just rolling their eyes right now with those two teams in the finals compared to if you look at another sport like basketball, they've got the top two teams about to be in the finals against each other for the third straight year. The NHL isn't exactly presenting something that people are going to want to see in the finals. I mean, if, if Pittsburgh gets there, there'll be a few more eyes on it. But it's not going to be anything like basketball. I just think I just think the NHL is such a crap because I mean, which because if I remember right, Anaheim was an eighth seed I think the year they won. Yeah, in LA. Yeah, yeah, LA. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. And I think Edmonton the year that they went in two thousand six, right? Well, that was such a weird that was such a weird year. Yeah. That it's almost like that year shouldn't really count for anything because. It was the first year after the strike, and the, all the rules changes. You know, like 20, I think twenty penalties each game. Well, I mean, how many goals did Jonathan Chichu have that year? Like yeah, fifty something. 
insane. So it was just, it was everybody getting used to the new rules. Plus that was like the first year of Crosby and Ovechkin. So it was just, I think it was just one of those, it was sort of like that weird year when the NFL went on strike and they lost half the season. And so they actually had like a 16 team tournament instead of like the normal playoffs. And so a bunch of weird stuff. I think for the stat used to be, I think the three years that the the NFL had like a strike or a labor stoppage or something were like the three times that the Redskins won the Super Bowl. It was just like this weird, just like a weird coincidence. But I think there's just so much parody in hockey that when you get into the playoffs, if your goalie's hot, I mean, these are sort of tropes, but it's like if your goalie gets hot and your guys don't get hurt, I mean, that can that can be all you really need. And, it's, and if, like, uh, one of the favorites gets taken out by somebody else in the other half of the bracket and it opens up for you, I mean, I, I would sort of prefer that to having, like, a dominant super, you know, I mean, I'm not a basketball guy, but I've always sort of preferred the model where you could have four or five teams win the title than two or three. I agree. I agree with that to an extent, but at the same time, I mean, parody, parody kind of, it just changes the, every dynamic. And like, I think, I know you, you disagree, I'm sure, but I think it's a shame that Ovechkin for the rest of his career is going to have to deal with the fact that, I mean, unless he does like a Ray Bork and gets traded later in his year to the top contender, he's never going to have a Stanley Cup. And I don't think it takes away from the fact that he's one of the greatest players of all time, but there are actual media people with Hockey Hall of Fame votes that will hold it against him, that he never could take his team, even into the Final Four, he could never take them. Well, of course, the Hockey Hall of Fame is so insular, guarded, secretive, whatever word you want to use for it. But, no, I agree. I mean, I think that's part, I think it's one of the problems with team sports is, you know, if you, if your team isn't as good, doesn't measure up to your greatness or you unfortunately play, you know, if an Ovechkin had come around a couple of years or, you know, not at the same time, exact same time as Crosby, you know, what do you've gotten? What do you've gotten a ring or, you know, it's like, how do you, you know, they have Backstrom, but they've never really had, like a super great, you know, there's the year that Mike Green scored all those goals, but he really wasn't a good defensive defenseman. They've had like really good defensemen, but they've never had anybody super. But uh, I think their year was, I mean, their year should have been this year, if you think about it. This year should have been their year. But their real year, otherwise, should have been that year where they just they blew it against Montreal. They ran into best goalie in the league at that time. But. And, you know, and I say I like parody even though, like, the one overdog in sports that I root for is is Detroit. And, of course, now they're at the bottom of the cycle. But, you know, there was another well, team. With parody, who knows? Who knows? With parody, they could be back in the playoffs next year for all you know. It's, and, well, I mean, this isn't a very good draft year. But, you know, if they're – if they miss the playoffs, you know, again next year and – there's some super, you know, 17-year-old that we don't know about, although I'm sure if he's a super 17-year-old, we'd know about him. 
But you know, if you know, if there's if there's suddenly like another Austin Matthews or another Connor McDavid, you know, that's and you have like a good core and you know, I think Detroit's just I think Detroit's probably sort of like you know, Chicago, it's like when you're good for too long and you pick at the bottom of the draft all the time, you can't always steal guys in the third round and especially now that you know, everybody's scouting and analytics and all that stuff are, you know, there's not the kind of gap that, they, you know, back when, you know, Detroit was like one of the, you know, few teams that spent money on international scouting and, you know, they could afford to have, you know, scouts in Europe and they could find Zetterberg and Lindstrom and guys like that where, you know, that's that's sort of, there's sort of a parallel to that in soccer and you had guys who were great at finding hidden gems like 10 15 years ago but the problem is like everything's on tv now and everybody has scouts and so you can't find gems anymore so it levels the playing field and then when you add in injuries and you add in luck and you add in other things that you don't expect to happen you know and who knows what don't worry, Detroit? Don't worry if a if a good player, if a great player comes along, I'm sure Batman will find a way to get him on Vegas. Well, see, and that's the thing. It's you know, if you were to tell me that Ovechkin ends up in Vegas, I would not be 100% surprised because it's like that unloads a huge burden off of Washington's salary cap. It gives this new franchise that needs stars, one of the league's biggest stars in a market that's all about stars. I mean, I'm sure they would sell boatloads of tickets now if Ovechkin went to Vegas. Yeah, I don't it, think... It works out perfect for everybody. I don't think it's going to happen, but if it happened, it I wouldn't be surprised about it. And, I'm you sure know, they do anything, everything in their power to make sure it does happen. <laughs> Sort of like, you know, Austin Matthews conveniently ends up. Yeah. Oh, don't even don't even start with that. This is all about. This is Pittsburgh getting Crosby. Pittsburgh was going to go bankrupt. I know. I don't. I don't disagree that all sorts of funny things happen. But, but I mean, certainly. So happy. It just so happens that the one year there's a lottery where every team gets involved. And Pittsburgh, who's in, not in danger of folding immediately, but are definitely having their problems, somehow end up with the future best player in the NHL. It's funny how that works. Although, then I, I would have to, uh, I would need the explanation on how Edmonton ends up with McDavid, that he does not go. Well, I mean, going to Buffalo, I don't know how much that w- would help the yeah. league overall. Other than the fact that, like, Buffalo is the, like, number one TV market in the United States for hockey. Or at least it used to be. I mean, it might be Chicago now since their dynasty happened, but it used to be that, like, Buffalo had the best TV ratings of any city in the country for hockey. Yeah, why don't you ask general manager Jack Eichel how Buffalo's working out for him? (laughs) Or, you know, again, and there's an owner who would spend an unlimited amount of money, but hasn't figured out a, made a way to make it work yet. So, 
But, I don't know. I I think just ebbs and flows. I think Buffalo will be fine eventually. I mean, if they get it... They haven't named their coach yet, have they? I don't think they... And Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think they had. So, we'll see how that goes. But, Rob, I want to thank you very much for doing the show. Um, people can go to your YouTube channel to check out your music videos. You are, of course, on the Como Estaz podcast with the Cubs. You guys just had an episode the other day that talked a lot about that CML stuff that we also talked about. But there's other stuff for people to listen to you two guys talk about. We said you'll be at the show in June with me and other of our friends. Um, anything else you wanna you wanna plug before we go? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Viper okay. or my alternate account Lucha Gifts, where I tweet out cool gifts with funny captions, or I try to make them funny, and it seems to be gaining in popularity. So check that out. And I was say, blog where I keep. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say the the Lucha Gif account, which gets retweeted by by Luchadors. So obviously. They're enjoying it, whether it's them tweeting themselves or just other cool. I mean, the fun I have watching it is trying to actually figure out when they're from, sort of based on who's involved and maybe what their what their outfits look like and you know which ring it is. Like I can go, I think I know, I think that's from 2004 or 1997. You know, that's sort of like the guessing game I play when I watch them. Well, my original intention was just to show people cool spots that have gone lost in time or some of my favorite moves or dives or whatever, but it's the internet. So, of course, the things that get retweeted the most appear to be either the accidents or anything involving Kim Onedo seems to get a lot of traction. I'm sure that shocks you. Or if you have a tweet showing just how long people have been doing Dragon Ranas, it is not something that was invented yes. in, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. People literally will argue with video evidence. No, 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 Dragon Kid started it in 1999, and I'm like, this video is literally from 1996. What am I seeing that you're not seeing? But yeah, um, yeah. if people still love Rey Mysterio, they can definitely... He, he, is, a, he is a definite uh, frequent uh, participant in, the, in your gifts. So mm-hmm. if people people want to see old Ray, there's always a good chance they'll see them in one of your gifts. Definitely. And also I have luchareviews.blogspot.com where I keep track of every good match I've seen this year, including some obscure ones. So hopefully not the same as other people have on their list. Cool. Uh, thanks, Rob, for doing the show. And hopefully I will see you in a couple weeks. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you very much. Thanks. And we will be back after this. (laughs) 
Welcome back. I just wanted to take a couple minutes to talk about the life and career of Sir Roger Moore, who passed away earlier this week. Of course, we all know he was the James Bond of the 70s and 80s. He was the James Bond that I probably first knew growing up watching on television. Over time, I grew to prefer both the more serious Sean Connery Bonds of the early 60s, and the very strange and very campy 1967 Casino Royale for my campy Bond. Although there are things that can be appreciated in almost every one of Roger Moore's movies as James Bond, whether it's the mixture of black exploitation and Bond in Live and Let Die, seeing him versus Christopher Lee in The Man with the Golden Gun, the very strangeness of Moonraker, a return to more seriousness, and for your eyes only, and of course the rather bizarre A View to a Kill with both Christopher Walken and Grace Jones as your Bond villains. If you ask my favorite Roger Moore spy stuff, it wouldn't be Bond, it would be either The Saint when he played Simon Templer in the mid to late 60s, or even The Persuaders, where he and Tony Curtis were two globetrotting rich guys solving crime and mystery and fast cars and things like that. There are also a number of movies that may go below the radar or people may have forgotten by this time. One is the movie Folks, where he played against type as a very sort of unsavory, grumpy protagonist. That movie also stars James Mason and Anthony Perkins. You can also find it uh, listed under North Sea Attack. That was its name in England. Folks is the name that it had in the United States. Also, people may forget how great Moore was at comedy. I would certainly encourage people to check out the first Cannonball Run movie where Moore does a great job spoofing himself and his persona as a rich guy who pretends or thinks he is James Bond. Lots and lots of meta, and I love. The other great thing, if you want to see more do comedy, is check out his episode of The Muppet Show from the late 70s, where he again spoofed his super serious Bond persona. There's lots of other things. Moore, of course, had like a 50 or 60 year career. Uh, he was Brett and Bart Maverick's cousin Bo in the James Garner TV series from the early days of television. You can check that out. Any number of things I would go to his IMDB page or Wiki or YouTube or any of those things. He will certainly be missed. Condolences to his friends and family. Thank you for listening to the show. We should have another one up in a few days. Thanks. Bye.